0: Well, oh, good morning again, and let me again wish a congratulations to all of our graduates and their families. What an exciting time in life! I uh, yeah, go ahead and applaud them. We've got two of my four were in that midst, and so uh, pretty exciting time for our family. We're celebrating uh, right along with you. You know, I've always thought graduation is one of those unique times where you're looking backwards and forwards equally at the same time. You know, you're looking backwards and you're celebrating what has happened, an accomplishment. You, you just graduated from high school or college, as we saw several advanced degrees. And so we're looking back and saying, hey man, look at all that has happened, past tense. And yet because of what has happened, past tense, we're now looking forward with a lot of excitement about what comes next. What are those next steps? We're going to college or maybe getting a job, maybe moving out on our own, uh, maybe getting married. I mean, there's just a lot of big things that are now around the corner, and it's such an exciting time. And I just want all of our graduates to know from your pastor, I wish you Godspeed. I really do pray that in these next steps, you will just thrive and flourish in your life and well-being and in your walk with the Lord. And, of course, also as your pastor, I would encourage you, I would challenge you to think much about God and his church, about Jesus and the body of Christ and the role that they will play in you shaping those next steps, taking those next steps, living in those next steps I challenge you with that because you're you're entering a time that historically, and when I say historically, kind of the way we live life in America, you know, historically, statistically, you're you're coming into a time of life where we tend to hit pause on God. We tend to hit pause on his church. You know, I uh It would be very normal for a pastor to say, Hey, I want to encourage you to think about God and your relationship with Christ as you go forward. Of course I'm supposed to say that. But I'm really not saying that because I'm supposed to say that. I'm saying that because I believe we are at a more urgent place in the status of the church in America. And I think a a pause right now could be very dangerous for your soul... And it could be very dangerous for the church. You know, it's very natural in this time. You're doing a lot of things. You're getting some newfound freedoms, some newfound resources. And it's, it's hard in this time in the 20s to kind of settle down and, and get locked into a place. You're doing a lot of things right now. We all understand that. We've, we've been there. And so it almost, it, in the way we live life in America, it almost seems natural, normal to kind of hit pause on God during this time. But whether it's natural or normal, it's not safe. Whether it's natural and normer, normal, it's, it's not good. Whenever we go away that does not include God, it won't end up in a good place. God's already warned us about that. God says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its way ends in death. Every single time. There's a mountain of history and evidence behind this. You know, when God charts out a way for you, His way for you comes from His love for you. He loves you. That's why He tells you the way. His way not only comes from love, but it comes from knowledge. He knows the design of this world. He knows the design of you. He knows the past, the present, and the future. And with all that knowledge, He maps out a course and a way for you. And of course, His way is not just about a way in this life. It is a way into life eternal. It would seem really easy to pick God's way. It would seem very obvious to pick God's way. And yet, what does the Scripture tell us in Isaiah 53? Every one of us has chosen to go his own way. Some of us have done that for a life. A lot of us have done that in a micro-sense. We did it, you know, we went our own way in a decision. We went our own way in a a season. But, But it's never going to work good to go our own way. God says it always ends in death. What's interesting is that we can be in God's way, being enjoying God's way, the blessing of all that, and do you know we still leave God's way? It's happened throughout history. We do it as individuals. We do it as a church. We do it as a, as a nation. You know, I think of a couple of things. Uh, Two hundred years ago, Not a long time ago. 200 years ago, Europe, the continent of Europe, was was literally the center of Christendom. Pretty much everything going on in the world in a Christian sense, in a kingdom sense, was coming out of Europe. The missionaries, the resources, it, it was all coming out of Europe. Europe was profoundly in the way of God. And 200 years later, and it did not take 200 years... They are profoundly secular. They do not need God because, because they just don't need God. On a, on a church scale, I think of uh, the people we're looking at right now that we've been studying John talking to. We, we've been studying that all this spring and now into summer. John was the longtime pastor of the church at Ephesus. He's moved on From that now, but uh, when the apostle Paul wrote the church in Ephesus in chapter one, he says, "I commend you for your love for one another." And remember, love for one another is not just I walk in the room and hey, y'all are all my friends, and I have just a good feel. I love my church. Well, yeah, that's certainly a part of that. Love for one another is so much more than that. It's not a feeling; it's an action. When we love one another, we choose to engage with one another. We choose to help each other, serve each other, or encourage each other, all of us together in our journey and our walk with the Lord. Because our, our journey and our walk with the Lord has good days and bad days. It has ebbs and flows and, and we need each other. That's what loving one another is. And Paul writes the, the Ephesians and he says, man, you, your church has a reputation all over the world for your love for one another and your faith in God. Your faith, your knowledge, your understanding of God and, and how you share that in the world. Paul would have been writing that in about 62 A.D., give or take. When John writes them, it's not even 30 years later. I just said 200 about Europe. Now we're talking about an individual church, and it wasn't even 30 years later. And what have we heard John telling these these folks, the, the church in Ephesus, the people of Ephesus, the region around Ephesus. You have been very, very uncareful. You've been very uncommitted to loving and caring for one another. You have been very uncareful with your faith. And as a result, you as an individual, and because you are the church... Not only you as an individual, but the church is being swept up and swept away by the ideas of our enemy. It can happen so quickly. Perhaps that's why Peter says to us in First Peter: "Be sober-minded. Be be clear-thinking." Be clear thinking about who you are in Christ. Be clear thinking about what you are and what you're doing in the church. Be clear thinking about how you live for him in the world. Be watchful because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Be firm in the faith. It will always be extremely difficult, if not impossible, to resist and to be firm when you have God on pause. When you have God and his church on pause. And my fear today is that when you decide to settle down and come back to your faith, there won't be a church here for you to do that in. Would you turn with me this morning to 1 John chapter 4? 1 John chapter 4. We have uh, been studying John now uh, since Easter, the Sunday after Easter. I planned that last fall and mapped it out and what passages I was going to do on what day. And that had me today in 1 John chapter 4, 1 to 6. Plan plan that. I didn't know it would be graduation Sunday. I probably could have figured it out because it lands pretty much on the same Sunday every year. But I didn't put this passage here because it was graduation Sunday. It was just the next passage in in line. And yet of all of the verses we've seen in 1 John, and I don't know about y'all, I'm overwhelmed by every sentence. I'm overwhelmed by how profound he speaks into our lives and into our church today. And yet with all of these different passages, I look at 1 John 4, 1 through 6, and I think it's just perfect For graduates. I think it's just perfect for people who are heading out into a world, but let's not let us think that the message today is just for graduates, because it's for all of us, right? John, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is speaking to every single one of us. First John chapter 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. That was true then, it's true today. There are many. There are many, many, many false ideas, false teachings. There is much deception always going on where you are and where you're living. This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. I don't know about you, I read that sentence and I, my first thought is, gosh, John, that seems like a little bit of a low bar. <laughs> that, that seems like a low standard to establish what a true prophet is. They say Jesus has a real body. That wouldn't seem like to be the big thing to me, right? But in this case right here, and some of you have been with this the whole time since Easter, you might be, remember back to when we were introducing this. John is speaking to some false prophets in this church that are teaching Jesus did not have a real body. That, that he was not a human. That he was more of a, a phantom or a spirit. We probably would say G- Jesus came as a ghost. Well, that, that profoundly impacts a broken body and a spilled blood. That profoundly impacts what he was accomplishing and doing on the cross. It, it profoundly impacts whether he really experienced what we go through in this world. And and so on this sentence, John is zooming down on one particular item. And it says, hey, listen, I know what you're hearing. I know what they're saying. If they're telling you he didn't have a real body, that person's not from God. Now, look what he does in the next sentence. He zooms out. He he comes back out from that one idea. Verse 3, but if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus. Now, truth is a that's a much broader term, isn't it? Now we're not talking about just one truth, but all of the truth about Jesus. His, his virgin birth, his sinless life, that he is a co-equal, co-eternal part of the triune Godhead. And, and there would be more. But if someone is not acknowledging all this truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person, such an idea, such a group has the spirit of the Antichrist now, that's that's the second time now that John has referred to the Antichrist. And remember, in the first time, and here, we're not just talking about capital A Antichrist that comes in the Great Tribulation, but we're talking about an Antichrist-like spirit, an Antichrist-like effect. Now, this is difficult for us to hear, because you and I, when we normally hear Antichrist, we kind of think of a monster. We, we, we kind of think of some kind of like hideous creature that's going to be destroying the world and and destroying Christians, but just, just break the word down, anti-Christ. Does this idea, does this person, does this influence have an anti-Christ-like impact, an anti-Christ-like influence on my life? Before I engaged with this way, this idea, this person, I was here with Christ. But now that I've really engaged with this, I'm much less with Christ, it has had an anti-impact on my life. That person who may not be monster-looking at all, that idea that may not be surrounded in evil and dripping with poison can very much have an anti-Christ-like effect on our lives. Verse 4. But you belong to God, my dear children. You've already won a victory over those people because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. There's not a battle here that's in question. God wins. The church wins. The the Spirit is greater than us than in the spirit of the world that we're dealing with. Those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint. Boy, that's two important words right there. You know, everybody who speaks into your life, every idea that speaks into your life, is speaking from a view of God or speaking from a view of the world? And what we're going to hear John saying is you've got to really know which one. You really, really have to know which one is speaking into your life. But we belong to God, and those who know God, listen to us. Listen to us. There's the, uh, the apostles, the prophets. Really, what we would say today, they listen to the Scriptures. If they're listening to the Scriptures, we know they're of God. If they don't listen to the Scriptures, they're not of God. If they're not communicating what the Scripture is communicating, they're not of God. That is how we know if someone has the Spirit of Truth... Or the spirit of deception. Truth and deception. Ideas and people are always communicating truth or they're deceiving. That's always always been true. I think we can communicate truth, usually intentionally, on purpose. Deception, though, I think some people absolutely communicate it on purpose. They are purposely trying to deceive you. There's other times where we can be deceived by someone who's not trying to deceive us. They genuinely believe the world's way. They generally have given their life to the world's way. When they live that in front of us, when they model that in front of us, when they communicate that to us, in their heart and mind, they're not trying to deceive us. They're being what they are. But what they are is a way that is deceiving. What they are is a way that will have an antichrist like impact in our lives. There's always been truth. There's always been deception. There's absolutely nothing new about that. What is a little bit unique and new today is the speed at which an idea can travel. I mean, you know, I'm referring to the Internet. I'm referring to social media. I mean, an idea can populate a nation in seconds. I mean, real ideas that have real impacts it, it doesn't take decades. It doesn't take centuries for that to happen anymore. It can happen so lightning quick. And you know, a lot of us, we're looking around at the world right now. We're looking around at our our country right now and thinking, man, look how fast things are changing. Look at these ideas, these new ideas. A lot of us would look at that and think these are new ideas. They're not new ideas. And they didn't come here fast. They've been building for generations. You know, I... I Reminded of what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, there's absolutely nothing new under the sun. Oh, we always think we're advanced. We always think there's something unique and special happening in our lifetime, but there's not. It's all been done before, whether you're looking at an individual human life or a nation or a family. It's all been done. There's no new ideas, new names, new paint, but same ideas. Now, it's important to understand that. That means there's a track record. That means there's a history. We can see where this idea ends up, where this way ends up. You know, I just said, I, I, I think a lot of us, we tend to think of what's happening right now, and it seems so fast. I would actually point to the false prophets of our day, that, that, that using the term that John uses here. And I think probably the leading false prophets of our day are, are already dead and gone. But their ideas are alive and thriving I think of four names in particular that are profoundly shaping every thought in America right now. And that'd be Freud, Nietzsche, Marx, and Rousseau. Now, imagine a lot of us, we recognize those names. We remember history class or uh, a psychiatry class, or, you know, we, 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 we know those names. I mean, those are old dead guys, right? And they wrote stuff in history. Well, they are indeed dead. And they did write stuff in history that is profoundly shaping things you dealt with all this week. And will in the th- weeks to come. Probably the name that stands out there the most is, is Marx. And you think of Marxism or communism. I'm actually not referring to communism. When I say those guys are shaping today's world, I'm not, I'm not talking about all the countries or all the people that live under communism. Communism is a product of Marx thinking. That There's something above Communism, and that's the ideas that he was communicating. And his ideas, whether you become a communist person or a communist nation or not, his ideas are shaping our world, as is Freud and Rousseau and Nietzsche. They are touching everything. I mean, where, you think, what, transgenderism, the sexualization of politics, and probably the biggest idea that they all had input on that, that is above all of this is the rise of self. Self is more important, self is bigger than anything, and we actually must bring down government, bring down church, bring down family. Three of those four spoke specifically on the importance of the destruction of the family for the thriving and well-being of self. We we know these guys' names, but maybe don't realize that the entire world is following them right now, whether they know their names or not. You know, and if I'm going to follow somebody... It's, it seems like I'd want to know, where are they going? Where, where did, hey, I see, I see part of this road and it looks really good. I think I'm going to get just what I want. But the, it, it turns up there. What, what's around the corner? Where, where does this lead around the corner? You know, every one of their ideas has a history, has evidence. We see where it leads to. Their lives... You know, I bet when you and I are influenced by somebody, when we follow somebody, we're, we're probably somewhat impressed by their lives. Now, there's no doubt with these four guys, we certainly are, are applauding their thinking and the way they're shaping things. Are we aware of how they lived? Because I doubt any of us, and when I say us, I don't mean people sitting in church today. I mean human beings would want to be a neighbor, a co-worker, a friend of any of these four guys. They lived absolutely morally, relationally, and personally bankrupt lives. They destroyed much and hurt much in their path. People did not thrive around them and their ways. Yet their ways are touching every kind of relationship on the planet today. And and that whole concept leads me exactly to the three words. If I was to summarize John 4, 1 to 6 in three words, it would simply be this. Don't be gullible. Wake up. Look look at what you're listening to. Look at what you're following. It's not new. We don't have to wait and see where it goes. There is a history. There is a path. There is evidence. If you go into a world of ideas, you've got to realize you've got an enemy. There's problem number one. We absolutely don't acknowledge an enemy. And do you realize who I'm saying that to? I'm saying that to a room of people who believe there's an enemy. I'm guessing if we did a poll here online right now, hey, do you believe Satan is a real personality, a real character, a real force in this world? I'm guessing in this room we'd be 75% or higher. Much, much higher than any other group you would test out there on the street. We're the ones who believe in that. And not only do we believe in it, we just recently talked about them, didn't we? Wasn't it just last Sunday? When it just last we talked about, hey, there's they're Satan and there's sin, and they're crouching at our door, and they're waiting to seize. And last week, we were talking specifically about broken relationships or anger. And man, they're right there ready to use that. I mean, we believe it as in general. We talked about it recently. And I hope this is a little bit of exaggeration, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> Not a single one of us made a single decision this week in light of an enemy. That makes us fools. You say, what do you, what do you mean I didn't make any decisions in light of an enemy? Well, let's just back up from Satan for a moment. If you're walking into a room and you know your enemy is in there. I mean like a real person that doesn't like you. Are you understanding what I'm saying? You, we, we imagine a lot of us got somebody that just they don't like you. They talk bad about you. And if they have a chance, they would do something to make your life a little bit more miserable. Now, if you know that person is in the room you're about to walk into, I bet the first thing you're going to do is stop and think, do I need to be in that room? Do I really need to go in there? I don't want to go in there. And if I do have to go in that room, then what happens next? I bet every one of us goes into that room, our guard's up, right? I'm careful about what I say because I know they like to twist what I say. I'm careful about what they do because they're going to gossip about me. I'm just just going to be very, very... See, I'm making decisions. There's somebody in there that doesn't like me. There's somebody in there that wants bad for me. So I'm going to be careful. I'm going to be on edge. I'm going to be sensitive to what is going on. Peter's told us. John's telling us. Jesus has told us. Man, you got an enemy. And you and I are walking around like we're at Disney World. John says, man, you're you're, you're walking out into a world, there's an enemy, and he's not coming at you in a red suit and a pitchfork and horns. He's coming at you in a storm of ideas. And they're deceptive ideas because they're good. They're they're good for you. They're good for the world. They're good for others, even though they bring death. So John says, man, test the spirits. Test the spirits. Man, what, what is the wind What is the wind behind this person, behind this idea, behind this group? Where does it come from? Examine. Examine what you're thinking. Examine what they're thinking and communicating. Where does it go? Where's the success of it? You know how we best examine? When we're most personal and intimate with Christ. See, I'm always, I'm always measuring deception against truth. And the more I understand the truth, the more I love the truth, the more I'm growing in the truth, the more familiar I am with the truth, then the more quickly the lie and the deception stands out. The less familiar I am with the truth, the more the deception glitters and glows and draws. So he's, what, what does he say here, man? You, you, you've got to, you've got to test the spirits. You, you've got to be close with Christ. You've got, to, you've got to be vigilant. What is the view? What is the worldview? What is the God view? Where are they coming from? Now, you know, what we'll say is, well, but, but wait a minute. I mean, I, I understand that if we're talking about religion and stuff like that. But, I mean, I, I don't need to know where they're coming from if they're teaching me engineering. I, I don't need to know where they're coming from if they're teaching me math. It, do, it doesn't really matter, does it? It always matters. Yes, I can, you can, we can. We can learn math from a non-Christian. Don't, don't be, if you find out your professor is not a Christian, you don't need to drop the class. We 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 can learn math and engineering and English and history and the arts. We we can learn from a an unbelieving boss. We can learn from an unbelieving supervisor that's telling us, hey, here's what's expected of you, and here's how to do it, and here's where you'll find the forms. We can learn from unbelievers, but because we know that there is a world of ideas, and there is a world of deceit, and there is an enemy coming after me, it always matters. It may be 98% math, but there's a worldview in everything being said. There is a worldview in every single thing being said. So John says, test it. He didn't say run away from it. He didn't say don't use it. He said, you got to test it. You got to know. I I like, John says, test the spirits. I kind of like the way Paul says it here. He, He says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You know, it's an interesting thing that we, tend to use our 20s to hit pause on God. Because the 20s, and I would back that up a little bit, I'd actually say from 15 to 29, you're going to consume and you're going to process the ideas upon which you will build the rest of your life. You, You will be surprised as you get older how little your mind changes about everything, about anything. You're deciding almost everything right now. So you're building right now in your 20s the ideas that are going to build and shape your life and potentially children and grandchildren. You're making decisions now for for potentially generations to come. And you talk about a time that it would be most irresponsible to put God on pause would be the time that my heart and soul are being shaped and built for the rest of our lives. So I take every thought captive. Everything counts. Does this thought, this idea, this relationship, does it help me know Christ and love Christ and serve Christ? Does this idea, this thought, relationship help me love and serve the church? Or does it have an anti-effect on me? An against effect on me? You know, to all of us that are above the age of graduation, what have we modeled for this generation we're sending out into this world? Have we, have we modeled a vigilance in our faith? Or did they actually learn from us that you can hit pause? Pause. God's good, God's important, plays a wonderful place in life. And when you have kids, you'll, you know, you'll want that. But you can also put that all on pause while you handle the really important things of life. What really matters is your grades. What really matters is the job and the opportunity. What really matters is the achievement. They heard that. Never said those words. They heard it. Why are we shocked when they live it? Four things I think John would want us to leave with today. Number one, you're entering a real battle with real enemies and real deception. Now, you know, you just look at that one line and you're either going to believe that or you're not going to believe it. Right there, you're establishing. Am I listening to God's view in my life or the world's view in my life? God says, you go out there, you you have an enemy. I'm not saying be scared to go out there. I'm not saying don't go out there. I'm saying as you go out there, there is a real enemy and there is a real battle. And that leads to number two. You prepare your mind or you're going to lose your heart for Christ. Christ. I mean, you know, in here a great morning of worship. We're celebrating you. We, maybe many of us, you know, feel very close to the Lord. Boy, if history shows us anything over and over and over, is how quickly we can be so far from God never to return. It, it's a vigilance. It's a devotion. It's a commitment to engage with Christ in his body. It's a commitment. It's a devotion to engage with, with my understanding and my learning and my growth in the faith. You know, we leave church, graduates from high school, we go out there and we consume a world of ideas and we go, oh my gosh, you know, the claims of Christ, the claims of the Bible, it just doesn't measure up. The, the evidence is not really there and we're overwhelmed by the authority and the evidence of the world. And of course, we're given the world months, years, of our life and our time to absorb all their ideas. We're reading, we're engaging, we're talking with people, and many of us act like we've done the biggest spiritual thing in the world if we can read our Bible for five minutes. The problem isn't how God's ideas stand up to the world's ideas. The problem is we've given so little effort to trust God's ideas, to know God's ideas, and to live God's ideas. It's a real battle. you got to prepare your mind. And you are the church. That's a very difficult concept. Most of us, we believe that, but we don't accept it. I'm just an individual. I'm just a person. I, I get it. But Jesus says otherwise. Jesus says the moment you become a follower of him, you become a part of the body of Christ. You become a part of the church. And when you make a decision to engage the deception, you've made a decision for the church. And I don't know how many of of us it takes, but but pretty soon there's a tipping point. And it's not just you, the individual, that's gone the way of the world. The church now has gone the way of the world. Which is, I guess, my fear if I'm being a little bit pessimistic. If you catch me on a bad day, my fear for these graduates is that when they reach our age, my age, and I don't think it'll take to my age, the church in America will be very similar to the church in Europe. Entirely irrelevant. Oh, there'll be a church here, a pocket of believers over here, but we do not need God anymore. And you say, Pastor, you sound like like the church is going to lose and the church can fail. But didn't Jesus say that the gates of hell will never prevail against the church? He sure did. And it's absolutely true. You know, capital C, capital C church. Did you know since Acts chapter 1, when Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, every day has been forward for the church. Every single day for 2,000 years, the capital C church has grown. It was was 11 people, and then 120 people, and then it was a couple of thousand people, and now it's well over a billion. The church has always moved forward. Hell is not prevailing against the church. But little C church, little C Christian, we can ebb and flow. We, we, We can lose, and we can... When? And we can make decisions as individuals that leads the entire Little Sea Church to being dead. And you will be held accountable for that. I don't say that to scare you. I say that so when you're standing before God and he says, look what you did to my church. He says, I'm not the church. I'm just a person. Nobody ever told me that. God will pull out the video and say, your pastor told you right here, June I don't even know what the date is. What day It's June 13th. June 13th, 2021. He told you right there. And you'll go, oh. And he said, and I told you over and over in my word. You are the church. You're not making a decision for you. You're making a decision for the entire body. And then lastly, number four there, after all this bad news and pessimism, don't be afraid to go into the battle. Greater is the spirit in you than the spirit in the world. Greater is the truth in you than the deception of the world. If you will give time and you will give the same effort you did to learning your craft, learning your master, learning your degree, if you give the same effort to that, to God, you'll find God's ideas have stood 100% of the time. God's ideas don't lead to broken ends. They don't lead to broken people. God's ideas work. They are for you. You know, church, here at the Heights, we say one of our core values is that we value the next generation. Actually, the way we say it is the next generation matters now. Do you know why we add the word now? You say now when it's urgent. You say now when you're at war. It matters now what we're doing. What have you done to equip, to prepare, to encourage these graduates to step out into the world and be ready to test the spirits. Now, a whole lot of us right now are saying, well, my, my kids are grown. I'm, I'm sorry, I wasn't asking a parenting question. Do you think that's only, do you think what we're doing in children's ministries and youth that only counts if you've got children right now? That, that only counts if you have children it is the high value of the church to equip people that we're sending into a storm of ideas. What are we modeling for them? I hope it's not a band of fools utterly oblivious to the storm of ideas that will sweep them away. Well, I hope if nothing else, all of a sudden Peter... John, Paul, all these warnings, all these challenges start to make sense. Because guess what? We're not doing anything new today. It was a storm of ideas that swept away the church that John was writing to. The gates of hell will not prevail. But you will make a choice about the power of the gates of hell in your life. And sadly, when you're making that choice for you, you're making it for the church. Let's pray. Father, this is a hard word. It's a discouraging word. Lord, I wonder, I I wonder what our church, not not every church, not the churches out there, not the bad ones, us, have we really equipped, really prepared? Are they ready to stand in a storm of ideas that there is a 100% chance is coming? Will they be able to resist? Will they be firm in their faith? Will they be connected to a church that encourages, enables them to resist and be firm in their faith? Lord, I don't know what the tipping point is, but I know by your grace and power, it's not over. We need a generation to wake up. We need a generation to realize there's not a day, there's not a season, there's not a year that it's ever going to work to put pause on you. Oh, Lord, I pray that these graduates, as they go out in the world and take on their variety of jobs, take on their variety of careers... That, Lord, they won't be the ones to turn out the lights. They'll be the ones to lead the church to a new and profound relevance in our culture today. May they, may they be prepared, and I pray, God, that each and every one of us, whatever our age, wherever, wherever we are in relation to a graduation, Lord, I pray every one of us is thinking more than ever before, how do I pray, how do I serve, how do I give, how do I engage with preparing the next generation for the church? Oh, Lord, we need your help in this, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.